What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show. Today I've got a great uh, guest, uh, as I always do. I always have great guests, but this guy is a little extra great. Uh, once I, I discovered his story, and Lord knows it took him forever, or it took me forever, to find out about his story, not to, uh, uh, to his chagrin, but, I mean, it was just a situation where I was so busy I almost missed a phenomenal uh, story that uh, the world needs to know about, uh, and particularly our kids that are suffering right now, uh, if they're suffering from, you know, gang violence, uh, child abuse, both verbal and physical, uh, abject poverty. This is the guy that uh, single-handedly, through Christ, took it on. How are you, Andrew Ross? I'm excellent. Thank you, sir. How's <laughs> that, that for an introduction, right? <laughs> Listen, you wrote a book called Nine Lives, Finding a Way Out. Um, of course, I have to start the interview with, why did you title the book Nine Lives? Well, Nine Lives talks about the different times that I was close to death, um, whether it was when I went to a major brain operation at the age of 19, or where I was jumped in the street and left for dead, um, different shootouts that I were in because of gang uh, involvement, Um, my battle with depression and bipolar as growing up and creating an atmosphere of um, depression where it led led me to um, almost kill myself a couple of times. And by the grace of God, um, it didn't happen. I tried to shoot myself in the head a number of times. That didn't work. I tried to jump in front of a truck. That didn't work. And my whole thing, when I say nine lives, it's just that I know uh, God's unmerited favor on me has has propelled me to deftly write this book and tell people about the greatness of him and also, you know, to also teach others that no matter what they might be going through, um, they can make it out as well, too. Wow, that is unbelievable. I mean, 
Yeah, I guess you do have nine lives, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you probably uh, probably like Karina Katchow as well. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just can't jump out the window and land on all fours, so no, that's one thing I, I can't do. I don't want to try it either. I don't want to We've had enough of all of the trying of it. Stop all of yeah. that. Uh, yes. And let's talk about let's talk about living and living your life on purpose. Um, when I look at this, when I look, well, when I look at your life story, I, I just, it's miraculous because, yeah, you had many opportunities not to be here, but by the grace of God, there go I, you are here, uh, and thank God that you are still here with us, uh, and fully present and fully cognizant and contributing. What a blessing yeah. that is. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so I want to talk about the chapters in this book uh, mm-hmm. because each chapter is, you know, this is a book, ladies and gentlemen, you won't be able to put down. So don't get this book and just uh, expect that you'll just uh, be watching shows or something in between. This is a book that you're going to have to study. You're going to have to sit down and it's going to grab you and it's going to hit you right between the eyes. Uh, the first chapter I want to talk about is what you call finding your way out of abuse. And you subtitle it, I'm afraid of changing uh, how because I – built a life around you. What do you mean by I'm afraid to cha- afraid to change how because I built a life around you? Well, I look at the whole thing as growing up in a very abusive household. My father had a really tight grip on my mother and me and my and my other um and my sister and brother and mm-hmm. my mother my mother did not um was not able to work. She wasn't able to have friends and you know, he kept us isolated in the house to the point where every time we went to bed, he would board up the back doors, he would fill up the front doors. And when he died seven years ago, my mother did not know how to live. She was afraid of changing. She was afraid of living on her own. My brother and my sister suffered with depression and they suffered mm-hmm. with... Huh? No, I'm just saying, wow. Yeah, so it's it's just, you know, the isolation and the lack of socialization and the lack of having friends and the lack of having family connections. It was like, okay, how do we how do we do this now? He's gone. He's had a tight grip on us for so long. What do we do now? So he was very controlling with the finances and with the things inside the house. So when I say I'm afraid of changing because I built my life around you, it talks about my story it also touches on a lot of individuals on the outside who are currently in abusive relationships mm-hmm. or or they build their self around a man or a woman and they forget mm-hmm. about their own self. And so when that man or woman uh, uh, is gone, they don't have an identity anymore. They don't know who they are. Right. There's an empty void there that, you know, nine times out of ten, what happens is that they pick up the same man that just let them go mm-hmm. or the same mm-hmm. woman that just let them go. Mm-hmm. And it's a vicious cycle. And by the time they know it, they have no true identity. And, you know, the abuse continues verbally, physically, sexually, and, you know, it's just lifelong. So, so how did you... How did you work through this uh, when your father, I mean, obviously your father died and then your mother kind of just, um, it kind of be, almost became a vegetable in the sense that just wasn't able to, to cope. 
how did you handle that? And you had brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got one brother and I got one sister, um, which is currently going through it right now. You know, my dad died. My, you know, the whole thing for me was to trying to get my mother out the house as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, trying to see her as much as possible, trying to talk to her as much as possible, trying to get her to interact with other individuals, which wasn't easy because as soon as he died, she went straight to the alcohol and the bottle. Oh, and my. one of her turning points is that she OD'd off alcohol and was ended up in the hospital in Far Rockaway, Queens, which is a turning point for her. But she realized little by little that my dad was a good dad, um, but he had these issues that he refused to deal with. So she didn't want to go through the rest of her life not dealing with these issues, these emptiness, this loneliness, this insecurity, this jealousy that that was coming about of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so with the support of myself, my sister, and my brother, and also a couple of friends that go see her once in a while, you know, take her out to get a pizza, um, call her up, you know, make sure she's watching her favorite TV show, which she wasn't able to do before. That is unbelievable. That is amazing. I hear of this all the time. It's just fascinating to hear it when it's a you know, a personal story like this. It's just amazing mm-hmm. what happens. Um, how how young were you? Because uh, I remember reading about uh, one of your suicide attempts was taking a syringe and pumping ice water into your veins or something of sorts. Yes. How you is, it, is that right? How how young were you when you just decided this is just too much. I want to get out of here. Um, I was. I had to be uh, between the age of seventeen and nineteen when this happened. Wow. And it was. It was. You know. It was. It was the abuse, the sexual abuse inside the home. There was their physical abuse inside the home. There was the bullying outside the home. So I had nowhere to turn. Depression mm-hmm. kicked in. So you see, you know what. You know, I don't, you know, there's no God. At that point, I didn't believe in God because all these bad things were happening to me. So mm-hmm. I got a syringe one day, filled it up with cold water, stuck it in my left arm. And the only thing that happened was my arm got cold. Um, but doing extensive research right now, that's a form of trying to freeze your heart. So wow. my, my whole thing was just to end it. And I think during my whole doubt with the... uh with the attempts at suicide, the suicidal ideations, with, you know, you know, taking a large amount of drugs and pills and, and alcohol to the point where it's inside the book as well, too, that I, I would take so much cocaine that I would hallucinate so much that I would stick razors up my nose because I thought that there was evil spirits inside of me that I needed to get out only to know that I was damaging the inside of my nose, which would make me hemorrhage. So then my mother would come by the house and see these sheets full of blood, and she would tell me, she'd say, oh, my God, what, what, what's going on here? I said, my, I'm, you know, it's coming out of my nose. And every time I talk about that story, it's, it's more touching because I was like, you know, I, I, you know, I could have died, but God had his hand on me despite whichever way I was turning, he was still there. My gosh. So, yeah. so uh, I remember you telling me a story, too, about you got attacked um, uh, by a rival gang. Or so. You were trying to get out, actually, and as you say, there's no really true way out. 
uh, of a gang situation, and they actually uh, came at you with a with a lead pipe. Is that right? Yes, yes, definitely. This um this occurred in 1990, and I was running with a gang in the uh, in the Bronx. And what happened is that um, me and the gang decided to do some robberies that evening. And, you know, we didn't get caught by the cops. However, the guy caught me alone by myself um, about a month later. I seen him pass by me. I was on the phone with my mother early one morning just talking to her. He passed by me. I thought nothing of it. He went in the store. He came back out and gave me one hit in the head where I fell straight out. I lost my speech, and I lost the feeling in my left side of um, my body. So the ambulance and everything came. You know, they rushed me to the hospital. As soon as I went to the hospital, um, I went into a seizure where they had to open me up. They had to get, you know, permission to open me up. I had a blood clot in the brain. Um, They opened me up. They popped the blood clot in the brain. And as they was willing me out to go into a recovery room, I went into another seizure, and they had to roll me right back in there where I went into a coma. Now, my mother and my father made it up there, and they told my mother and my father that I will not make it through the evening. So they called the priest up by my bedside to pray by my bedside. And once again, by the grace of God, he had pulled me out of that as well, too. And I and I think about that story, and it almost makes me tear up every time I think about that because the greatness of him, no matter what, if he has a plan for your life, he has a plan for your life. That's, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Even if you decide to take your own will back, you know, his plan is perfect. I like that. I like that a lot. That they there that when you are chosen and when you were chosen to do something, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's your destiny and you're supposed to be here and do something. Yeah. Uh, yes. I absolutely believe that. Um finding your way out of codependency, uh the mm-hmm. need to be needed. It's definitely powerful. Talk to us yeah. about that. Definitely. So, you know, right after that chapter one, I'm afraid of changing because I built my life around you is chapter two, which is the need to be needed, finding my way out of codependency, which talks about my need to need somebody at all given times, my need to be in a relationship no matter what, my need to be around people, even if when I was around people, I still felt lonely, I still needed to be around people. And Mm -hmm. the saddest part about it. I would surround myself around women who were HIV positive, have sex with them, unprotected, because they told me they loved me. And they told me that, listen, I love you. I'm going to be here for you no matter what. Unprotected sex is okay. I had unprotected sex. And I have to say to you, for probably like the fifth time already, by the grace of God, I am HIV negative. And this is something that this is an issue that other individuals can ID with today because there's a lot of this stuff going on today about individuals with the insecurity, the low self-esteem, the accepting anybody into their life no matter what, and mm-hmm. individuals being married, going out and having sex with individuals who are HIV positive, and it's a major big issue. But it was it was almost like um, it was almost like I was trying to satisfy 
it's almost like I was trying to satisfy um, a love itch, but the utensil was too short to reach the spirit. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Well said. You know, well said. So. Um, finding your way out of darkness. Um, you basically had a battle between you, God, and, 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 and as you say, the devil. Oh, wow, yes. Uh, that was a crazy chapter, man. Um, talk to me about that that battle between uh, these these three forces, because you are a force of nature yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, growing up, like I said before, the abuse that was inside the home and outside, inside the home and outside the home, I really didn't believe there was a God because all this bad stuff was happening to me. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to push the bullies away, I had to think of a master plan to really have them be scared of me. So I said, you know what? Let me start worshiping the devil. Let me buy the satanic Bible. Let mm-hmm. me start doing some rituals. Let me start hurting people. Um, let me start hurting myself. Let me prove to the devil that I'm committed to him. And I tell you, um, Mr. Matthews, this is this is no lie. I have encountered a, a whole different spiritual realm, which was extremely interesting, which had me almost the spirits just coming through my body and going through my body, and you could feel the wind. And I mean. You know, you know, Satan's ultimate goal is to kill and destroy you, and I would, I would cut myself, and you know, it was, it, it was something interesting that I had a cult out there. But what happened is that it, it reversed on me. So yeah, the bullies left me alone, but also other people decided to stay away from me, would put me in, which put me into a state of isolation and abusing drugs even more. Wow. My goodness. It's it's again, every time I hear this again and again it's it's amazing how you how you obviously are chosen. It's it's amazing how you got out of that. Most people don't live past that. They just tell when was your when was your last suicidal episode? How old were you? Um, my last suicide episode was when I was <clears throat> when I was twenty seven. And what happened then is that I decided to go on a drinking binge and a cocaine binge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went on a binge for a whole weekend. And what happened is that um, I ended up uh, running out of money and everything. And then a depression kicked in. And I was by the pier and I was trying to jump off the pier, but the spirit was like, no. And then, you know, I, I kept praying, and then I wound up going, trying to jump in front of a, a truck over here on West 4th Street in the, in, in, um, in the city where the traffic is high over here. And um, I couldn't, something was holding me back. It was like God saying, no, this is not what I have planned for you. We're going to get through this. You know, get yourself together. I got a plan for you. And, and I heard those words, and that, at that point, I, I asked for help. Well, I want to talk about the help uh, and and your finding Christ uh, with with uh, Bishop, but I want to talk about the the isolation. You talk about this in one of the chapters, and you felt like a caveman because the life that you were living uh, with all of the mental deliberations, you completely felt like no one else in the world is going through what you're going through. And talk to me about that sense of, of complete and total isolation. 
Well, it was interesting because I, you know, it, it it was it was more of you know it was more of isolating from the world, grabbing the drugs and going into a little room and just isolating myself in there um, while driving myself crazy because the drugs exacerbated the whole thing with the satanic stuff and whatever else was going on in my mind, which caused me to actually climb, literally climb through the walls and the ceilings of my house trying to get away from the spirits. Mm, wow. Um, and, you know, my mother came over one day and she couldn't believe what she's seen. She's like, what's going on with you? I said, well, you don't understand. There's evil spirits in the house. I got to get them out. I got to get them out. And, and, and they was, it was, it was definitely, I tapped into a whole spiritual realm where, isolation became um my best friend and um it's you know it it it, it was it was definitely a journey and and we we know you cannot grow in isolation you can't grow in the dark um and it, it, this this particular chapter it, it you know i had got some reviews from some folks who who definitely were going through stuff like this and stated that, you know, their isolation is causing them to be depressed, is causing mm-hmm. them to push family members away, is causing them to um, drink, is causing them to do drugs, is causing them to go on the Internet and go to por- pornography because right now you can get everything you want on the Internet and isolate. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can also die in isolation as well, too. So, um that was yeah that that was that experience with that and you know now now with with the whole thing you know as i as i'm developing as um a man in christ and i'm teaching other individuals um exactly how to get through struggles how to get through issues how to rely on god um i do different things for myself right now so my mind is definitely um always I always have positivity on my mind. I'm always doing something to empower myself. I'm also doing something to take care of my temple um and my mind so I can be here for other individuals. The ultimate goal for me and this book is to definitely reach out to individuals, to go out into the trenches, to go out to different parts of the country, to go out to different cities, speak to the youth, speak to the parents, and and, and implement change. Because the book itself, the feedback I got so far is that it has caused people so far to go into a deep meditation. It has caused people so far to to go into a, a state of a state of change. It caused people so far to really get in contact with some feelings that they haven't dealt with for years as far as with mm-hmm. the abuse, as far as with the addiction, as far as with the anger they had for their mother and father, for their, mm-hmm. as far as with their unforgiveness, yeah. I love this. I love this. You, um, during that isolation, you were basically addicted to pain. I was, yeah, yeah. And that leads right into... Um, that leads right into the the next chapter, and you know I always say it. I you know I say it. I say it laughing now, but you know I tell some people that I talk to that they have a high tolerance for pain because even growing up, my tolerance for pain. I mean, I would smoke so much crack that I would throw up black stuff and still wait for that stuff to turn clear before I smoke again. I would drink so much until I caught ulcers. I would sniff so much until my nose just wouldn't stop bleeding. I would pop so many pills, whereas, you know, 
I would just lay there and just know I wasn't going to wake up. Um, and, you know, and it's very interesting because even though I knew what the cause was, I had no strategies to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andrew, so who was who, who was your uh, abuser, uh, you say sexually uh, abused and physically, physically and, and emotionally? Who was your abuser in your family? Well, it was coming, and there was my 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 parents were swingers, so they would have individuals coming in out the home when they used to have orgies. And what happened is I was exposed to a lot of that stuff. Um, I was overly sexually stimulated through the movies and through even seeing the orgies as well, too. Um. So, you know, like I said before, I, I would create the isolation for myself in the living room by putting the two black chairs together, which is inside the book, and watching men and women go right around those two black chairs to my mother and father's room where they would have group sex. Wow. So you became so, the sex early in life, uh, which, you, as you said earlier, that was your kind of way of numbing the pain, but it was kind of also just acting out and, 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 and kind of moving into that whole generational um, situation. Yeah, sex became sex became one of those things that it was an instant gratification thing. It came to the point that the relationships I was experiencing as growing up was was empty empty relationships because the only way I knew how to communicate was through sex. So after sex we couldn't talk. Mm, wow. Okay, that's really so my so, so my communication skills were not sharp. Only thing I knew how to feel that feeling and have you feel that feeling as well too. And later on, as I started to mature a little bit more, I realized it's not all about the sex. It's about you know living um, living a, a obedient life, um, and then you know challenging yourself to meet different people and being able to communicate with them, learn how to talk to them, learn how to go out with them, learn how to say different, you know, learn how to learn about them first and do an interview with them first to find out what they want out of life instead of jumping into um, the bed. And by, you know, by the grace of God, my pastor has provided me with the four steps to establishing a healthy relationships where I go around the different parts of the city and the different parts of the country, and then I teach teenagers and also parents about that as well, too. Did you want to share those four, those four processes? Sure, definitely. The, the first one is um, a, um, introduction, and the introduction phase talks about, you know, just going, just, you know, saying my name is Andrew, what's your name, where are you from, they tell you where they're from. And at that point, then at that point, you are you could either say yay or nay to stay inside that inside that encounter with that with that individual. If you decide to move on, next one is called acquaintance. The acquaintance a little bit more. You know, I know your name. You know, I know where you're from. You have a number. Yeah, you want to exchange numbers. You want to go out for some coffee. Cool. You know, you ask these questions to them. You ask different questions of where you see yourself in five years. You know, what's your view on finances? What's your view on spirituality? At this point right here, you still have the opportunity to say yay or nay. Mm-hmm. If you decide to say yay, then you go to the third step, which is friendship. Friendship gets a little bit deeper because you're saying, you know what, this person might be a valuable asset in my life, 
and I can really see something happening between me and this individual, you start going out more, you start talking on the phone a little bit more. At this point right here, you still have that opportunity to say yay or nay. If you decide to say yay, the next step is intimacy, which will hopefully be in the content of marriage. But nowadays, individuals are going from introduction to intimacy and then having to learn about the individual later on, Mm -hmm. which causes all types of confusion, depression, insecurities, and jealousy, and it gets crazy. So those steps taken like that can lead to unhealthy relationships. Introduction to intimacy usually happens within a week or two, and individuals usually fight in the following week. Because we know that the whole thing with sex is supposed to stay in the content of marriage. And how do I know it works? Because I tried it. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I did the introduction to intimacy and, and, and we got crazy. And then I did the um, introduction to friendship and it became healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about when you met uh, Pastor, uh, was it R. Bernard? Pastor, a, Dr. A.R. Bernard at CCC Christian Cultural Center. Um, a friend of mine told me, said, Andrew, come down to my church. And, you know, I was going back and forth with different religions, Catholic, being Baptist, um, Five Percenter, Islam. Um, so he said, come down to my church. I came down to the church located on Flatlands in Brooklyn. And I heard this, I heard this pastor talking, and I was like, wow. You know, he was like, you know, he was sharing a message on no matter what you might be going through, you know, you can you can get through what you have to go, you can get through whatever you, you're going through, you can maximize your highest potential. And I'm like, wow. He said, okay, if you're here for the first time and you have never gave your life over to the to, to the care of God and, and God saved, just raise your hand where you're at. So I'm like, okay, let me raise, I'll raise my hand and then I'll put my hand down. He said, those that raise your hand, please make your way to the front. And as I went to the front, he prayed over everybody that was there. And and then I cried. And I was like, wow, it's an experience. But he said one thing before I walked away from it. He said, listen, just because you got saved doesn't mean things are going to stop happening. Mm-hmm. The devil is going to get more sophisticated. So you have to stay in prayer and you have to stay in the study. And what happened after that, that was like about 10 years ago, that same week um, I decided to go back out and drink. Mm. And and I was like, wow, I, you know, I went on a bench for like a whole week and um, and and almost, almost OD'd off the alcohol and everything as well too. But I, I was like, wow, I'm saved. Why is this happening to me? And it's not about... It's not about that. The devil doesn't want me to be saved. Um, you know, I, the closer the relationship I get with God, the closer work I be I do for Him, the closer to His will and His purpose that I am, the more sophisticated the devil gets. So I went through a whole bench for the whole week, and they said, "I said, you know what? No, this is not. This is not why I got saved." And put the bottle down, and haven't drank since. And um, you know, he's been, you know, the devil's been coming at me on different angles and stuff like that. Even writing this book, it's very interesting because I had, I went through a whole different mind frame just to put this stuff on paper because I wanted to almost relive it so people could understand, they could feel my story. Mm-hmm, 
So I'm sure it was very cathartic uh, walking through all of that again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so where are you now? So talk to us about um, the programs that you have for uh, the youth, and also how can people get in contact with you uh, in terms of a web address or uh, online? Yeah, definitely. So right now I'm I'm currently um, I'm currently the CEO and founder of Dreams and Motivation, which is a company that focuses on focuses on fitness training, motivational speaking, motivational coaching, um, and um, and also writing. Uh, I'm also in school now for my PhD program in business and organizational leadership. Whereas I'm going to use to implement change in different communities and in order to develop leaders in the home and outside the home. I do a lot of volunteer work with HIV programs. I do a lot of volunteer work with young men's programs throughout New York City. Mm -hmm. I do uh, volunteer work. uh, I do boot camp classes for the kids and for the parents as well, too, so they can work out together and encourage each other. Um, if people want to get in contact with me, they can contact me at um, www.dreamthemotivation.com. Um, I will even give my personal phone number, um, and that number is 917-297-1033. They can purchase the book, Nine Lives, Finding a Way Out, at um, Amazon.com, and they can also request for me to come to their city, to their state, any part of the world to come give a speaking event based on each chapter inside the book. And one last thing, the book itself has three parts. There's the real talk, what happened to me um, in my life, and then there's the second part to every chapter, and that's the um, turning points, what I did to help me get through that. And then there's and then there's spark plugs at the end of every chapter, which which are questions for the reader to answer and I provided a journal behind every chapter for people to write. Love it. Love it. Uh, Andrew Ross, uh, you are uh, an incredible gift and force. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with us. Uh, and I would love for you to come back and uh, talk about even more of what you're up to and uh, help more lives become uh, empowered. Anytime, anytime I Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold 
at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.